Well, we heard just before about uh, the homelessness situation in our region, partly because uh, there's such demand on property in Gympie, and I think it's partly because at the moment real estate companies have been promoting moving to the country. Uh, in the last 18 months, some discovered you don't have to work in a concrete box in the city. And if you don't have to go to work in a concrete tower, then maybe you don't need to live in an apartment or be field boxed in in the suburbs. Uh, real estate agents have been quick to push. It's time for a sea change or a tree change. Uh, move to the regions and find a more relaxed lifestyle. Uh, they tell us the good life is found in fleeing the rat race and slowing down in the country. That's what the advertising is saying. I've noticed that's a big push in a lot of the marketing that comes from our regional council. Move to Gympie, it's where the living is. You can give, love, grow and unwind by the river. The good life is here. We've found it. I wonder whether you believe the marketing. Where do you reckon you find the good life? That's what we're answering today. Have a look at verse 10, 1 Peter 3 verse 10, which says, whoever would love life and see good days. Wouldn't that be great? To have a life we love and to live in days that are good. How's it going to be found? Is it found in moving house, slowing down, meditating, getting a new hobby? Where do we find the good life? Now we're in 1 Peter 3 today, we're still in the section of his letter that began in chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2.11 it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's encouraging Christians, he's encouraging Christians back then, he's encouraging us now to live for Jesus even when falsely accused. And over the last couple of weeks, we've heard how to do this in relation to those in authority over us, governments, masters and marriage. Today, Peter gets a bit more broad. How are we to live generally when people are accusing believers of doing wrong? And this is a really stressful reality, isn't it? When you're under attack uh, from the outside, when you feel like the world is against you, we get anxious and stressed and often people lash out. We attack even people who are on the same team. And so in verse 8, we're first of all told, in anxious times, when we're feeling accused falsely, we need to step up uh, in our generosity, in our generous love to fellow believers, uh, 1 Peter 3, eight. So verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Uh, sometimes having a common threat means people draw together. Uh, that's the story we like to tell ourselves about the world wars, that Australians pull together to face a common enemy. 
It's also the story we like to believe about persecuted Christians. The small differences are put to one side and God's people unite to encourage and support one another when it's tough, but it's not always the case. At the moment, uh, we keep hearing uh, people saying that some, maybe many churches in America, are struggling with divisions. The anxieties and concerns in the culture about all sorts of things, viruses, sexuality, politics, racism. Instead of Christians showing compassionate love to each other, churches are at breaking point. This should not be. We are called to be sympathetic. Put yourself in their shoes. Compassionate, quick to hand out love and concern. Humble, seeking the good of others rather than getting our own way. Listening rather than the worst. These are virtues Jesus calls us to live out towards our church family all the time. And we need to practice them when things are easy because they're essential when times are tough. In bad days, we're called to love one another, to be humble and compassionate. That's what Jesus calls his people to do when it comes to one another. To the outside world, there's a slightly different call. Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Uh, Verse 9 might be talking about how you deal with others inside the church, but I think he's actually at this point looking outside. And do you hear what God says? When you're under attack, you don't lash out. He says more than that, though, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, don't repay insult with insult. God calls his people to enemies. Now, this is a step up from what the Old Testament said. In Leviticus, God calls Israel to love their neighbour. It's more like what we read in verse 8. It's loving fellow Israelites. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Peter is remembering what he heard Jesus say. If you're a Christian, you're called not just to not retaliate. It's not enough to not seek revenge. God calls us to bless our enemies. Do you do this? It's hard, isn't it? Do you do this? Do you listen at work always makes your life hard? And not pray that things will get bad for them, but pray that God might save them. God would care for them and comfort them. Uh, If you've got a neighbour who's always causing strife for you, do you help them out when you see they're struggling? God says that when we do this, when we bless even our enemies, when we seek peace, that's where we'll find the good life. God will bless his people who show compassion to one another and bless their enemies. Verse 10, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceit. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of of the Lord is against those who do evil. So how do we find the good life, a life we'll love? God says the way to find the good life is by being people of integrity, speaking the truth, 
running from evil, seeking peace even with enemies. And why is this going to give us the good life? Because the alternative makes God your enemy. If you stir up dissension amongst Christians, God is against you. If you lash out and get revenge on your enemies, God will be against you. But if you want to be blessed by God, if you want to find the good life, you'll be someone who seeks peace, who is sympathetic, who doesn't attack enemies. God promises that's how you'll find blessing. Uh, there's a saying, and you can find it on mugs at Kurong or posts on Instagram. It's, the saying is, I'm too blessed to be stressed. It sounds nice, isn't it? But it's such a thin view of blessing. I think what it's trying to say is, nothing bad is going to happen to me. That's, that's actually not blessing, is it? 1 Peter says, blessing is finding God's favour. It's not saying that everything's going to go well, but it's living faithfully in the sight of God, knowing the Lord Jesus. We are told in the next verse, in general, things go pretty well when we live God's way. Verse 13 says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? The answer, no one. If you live always trying to get revenge, when someone gives you a slight, you give them a mouthful. When someone pushes in front of you, you push back. If you repay insult for insult, it's only going to result in a downward spiral. In general, if we live for Jesus, eager to do good, to bless even our enemies, in general, things will go okay. It's what verse 13 says. But not always. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, Peter here is riffing on Isaiah 8. Uh, in our Bible studies this week, we looked at Isaiah 8 because living stone passages quoted in 1 Peter 2. In Isaiah's time, the thing people were afraid of, the threats they were worried about, came from what was going on in the world. International politics were getting scary. The Assyrian Empire was growing in strength and threatening Israel's borders. Isaiah's answer to this is God's people should not be afraid. They shouldn't be running off making alliances with other nations. Instead, they should remember the holiness of God. The God of Israel is unlike the pretend gods of the nations. He is the creator and sustainer, holy above all his made, so they should fear and trust the Holy One of Israel. Peter applies the same thing to Christians. When we feel under attack, when just living faithfully for Jesus leads to being attacked, keep trusting Jesus. Sanctify, revere, remember the holiness of Jesus. And what does he say will happen when we do this? Uh, people, even people who want to be our enemies, when they see we don't lash out, we don't try to get even, 
They'll see the hope we have in Jesus because we're, it's crazy, isn't it? That's not what normal people would do. They'll see the hope we have in Jesus and this may well lead to an opportunity to speak about the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, I read this story this week. Uh, it was a missionary to Angola. Uh, she was there in the 80s and 90s uh, when the country was often at war uh, and when the Communist Party would regularly send police to harass Christians. She tells the story of a time when the local women's department leader called this missionary in for a meeting. Uh, she was pretty afraid. <laughs> but when she got to the government headquarters, this high-ranking official wanted to find out about Jesus. She wanted to hear have someone pray for her. This was someone who had authority to persecute He'd seen how Christians had responded to the attacks and wanted to find out about the hope they have. Are you prepared to give an answer for the hope you have in Jesus? I don't think this means uh, being able to answer difficult theological questions. Some of us read this verse and we go, oh, my brain's not big enough. No, it's actually got nothing to do with us answering hard questions. It means being confident to talk about the difference Jesus makes in your life. Do you know Jesus? Do you find comfort and courage and hope, joy in him, even when life's hard? If you know Jesus, if you keep your eyes focused on him when you feel under attack, that's how you'll be prepared to give an answer. Now, the opportunity may not come. Often, enemies remain enemies. No matter how much you don't return insult for insult, no matter how much good you might try to do for them, it doesn't always lead to them asking for hope, but it might. And regardless, God calls his people to do what is right, to be a blessing. And this is because this is what Jesus is like. He suffered to the point of death. He did this to make his enemies friends. So verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus is our example of loving enemies. He died at the hands of sinners to bring sinners to God. Why did Jesus suffer and die? It's the great swap, isn't it? The great exchange. The righteous one died so that the unrighteous, sinners like you and me, the righteous one died so the unrighteous could be brought to God. And this is 100% guaranteed. The hope we have, even in unjust suffering, is not wishful thinking. It wouldn't be worth doing good to your enemies if it was just wishful thinking. It wouldn't be worth trusting in Jesus if it was just wishful thinking, but it's not. It's based on the 100% guarantee that Jesus died for his people to bring us to God. And it's based on the 100% guarantee of his resurrection that he was made alive in the spirit. Now, when it says in the spirit, it doesn't mean Jesus came back. No, Peter had seen the empty tomb. He'd seen the resurrected Jesus and spoke with him and ate with him. 
Peter knows Jesus rose again bodily. Made alive in the spirit doesn't mean a non-physical resurrection, but a resurrection to life in the spiritual realm. Uh, Jesus rose to life never to die again. Uh, Think about Lazarus, you know, the bloke in the tomb. I love the King James Version when the sister says, you know, when Jesus says, open the tomb and and one of the sisters says, oh no, he, he stinketh. No, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, sometime later he went back in. But when Jesus was made alive in the spirit, his physical body was resurrected. And so the same body that walked out of the tomb is alive right now and into eternity. Jesus' resurrection is a solid basis for hope, even in suffering. Because no matter what they might do, he has died again to bring you to God. Now, I said at the start that this passage has got a tricky bit. Now we get to the tricky bit. In 2 Peter, uh, Peter says that Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. The bit of one Peter we're about to read, you might think, hey, Peter, maybe you should read your own letter occasionally because you've got some tricky bits too. Uh, Verses 19 to 22 of this chapter are very hard to understand. Uh, This week in the commentaries I read, uh, there are at least five different ways Christians have understood verses 19 to 22. I'm not going to go through them all because some of them are quite... What I'm going to do is we're going to read verses 19 to 22. I'm then going to explain the two theories that I've jumped between to jump between this week. Uh, today, I'm not sure which one. I, th- no, I think I still know which one I agree with, but I might be wrong. The other one's probably right if I'm wrong on this one. All right, so let's get into it. Verse 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Uh, Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. This is confusing, isn't it? You've got these imprisoned spirits Noah, baptism, what's he talking about? Okay, two options. Uh, The first is, this is about Jesus speaking through Noah. Uh, In 2 Peter, uh, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. And then back in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of Christ spoke through the prophets. So 1 Peter 3, 19 to 22 could be saying, look, there were disobedient people in the time of Noah. They're the spirits in prison. Uh, They're called that because they're currently in some kind of spiritual prison awaiting judgment. And through Noah, Jesus proclaimed righteousness. He called those disobedient people back then to repentance through Noah. And that fits with the context, doesn't it? Just like Noah lived righteously amongst sinful people, Christians are also called to live for Jesus even if the the culture is hostile to bless enemies by telling them about the hope we have in Jesus. That's what I thought was going on. 
it's got a few problems, the least, not the least of which is, why would you call the people of Noah's day spirits in prison? I'm not quite sure why. All right, the second option is, the resurrected Jesus proclaims his victory over rebellious spiritual powers. Now, I admit this option sounds weird. Stick with me. I think it's actually what the Bible is saying. Because the Bible doesn't say all that much about spiritual beings. They're not the main focus. They're in the shadow of the Bible's main message, but they are there. So, for example, 2 Peter 2 verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And that actually says the thing about Noah we read before. These rebellious angels in chains of darkness, that sounds like spirits in prison. But what have these sinful angels got to do with Noah? Well, in Genesis 6, which is the start of the whole Noah thing, Genesis 6 has this strange about sons of God taking daughters of men as wives and then there's these Nephilim, it is weird stuff. There is some weird stuff going on in the early Genesis. And in Genesis 6, these marriages are linked to the reason for God's judgment. Although it's strange, I think this fits with this prison. And what this would mean is... These spirits who back then, the time of Noah, were disobedient, they've been imprisoned since the time they sinned. But when Jesus died in the flesh and was made alive in the spirit, in his resurrection, Jesus proclaims his victory over the angels, powers and authorities. He says, you shouldn't have sinned. And I have won. I have died and risen again. Uh, now I admit, talk about spiritual beings feels weird, but the Bible does mention them. It's not the main message. They very much exist on the fringe because the main message of the Bible is the gospel of salvation in Jesus. But at the moment, I think this understanding fits the message of 1 Peter 3 a bit better. But by the time we get to Bible study, I might have changed my mind. But anyway, what's the point of this section of 1 Peter? It's all about how we can find the good life in Jesus, even in bad days. Uh, moving to the country might be nice. Uh, it's not going to give us, though, the good life that lasts. It's nice for a bit, but when suffering and even persecution comes, where are we going to find the good life? We're going to find it in the victory of Jesus. The truth that will enable us to find the good life even is to know that Jesus has won. He is alive in the spirit and angels, authorities and powers, the enemies in the spiritual world, the enemies in the physical world are in submission to him. And if these spirits are under Jesus' control, why are we going to be afraid of those who persecute? Because Jesus has won. And just as God was able to save Noah and his family from judgment, we know God will save those who trust in Jesus because through the waters of the flood, through the waters of baptism, our sin has been washed away. 100% guaranteed that is not going away. You will be blessed. You will enjoy the blessing of God because in Jesus your sin has been washed away. Jesus has taken our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. As followers of Jesus, there's going to be times we will suffer. 
Sometimes we will suffer just the normal, everyday suffering of life in a fallen world. Other times we will suffer because we are Christian. And at those times, we are not going to think that we're living the good life. And we might be tempted to give up on Jesus. But 1 Peter 3 encourages us. God says, revere Christ as Lord deep within. Hold fast to the truth that he has suffered and died to bring sinners to God. He rose again to wash us clean from our sin and he lives now in order to rule all creation, including the spiritual forces of evil. And if this is true, do not give up. There will be times we will not have the good life now. There'll be times when it seems like the bad guys are winning. But since Jesus is risen and reigns in victory, the good life will be found as we keep living in him. Let's pray. Father God, please continue to strengthen our hearts today. Grow us as a church that shows sympathy. Grow us in humility. Help us to stand out in our community as those who bless our enemies. Help us to revere Christ as Lord. Give us opportunities and boldness to answer and speak about the hope we have in Jesus. Please give us confidence in the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. May his rule over all creation strengthen our hearts to know the good life is found in knowing Jesus and living for him. Help us to know this, especially when we are struggling or suffering. Uh, In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.